Hello, Rebels. I have a story for you today in two parts. The first is a monologue. The second is an interview with Pamela Geller. The subject are the anti-Christian attacks in Sri Lanka against the tiny Christian minority there, less than 10%. Um, before I let you listen to that, could you please do me a favor? And uh, it's becoming a premium subscriber. And why would you do that? Well, number one, you get the video format of this, and that's great. And number two, uh, it gives us eight bucks a month to help pay the bills. So go to the rebel.media slash shows, become a premium subscriber, Listen to the podcast as always. Watch my show. Watch Sheila Gunn Reed's show. Watch David Menzies' show. And know in the cockles of your heart that you're keeping the rebels strong. All right. Here's the podcast. You're listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Tonight, the CBC celebrates Easter Sunday by putting a Muslim terrorist on TV. Oh, and it gets worse. It's April 22nd, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. October 28th, 2014 was a sad day for all Canadians. It was the day that Corporal Nathan Cirillo was buried, leaving his young son without a dad. As you know, Corporal Cirillo was a Canadian soldier, and he was guarding the National War Memorial in Ottawa when an ISIS terrorist came up to him and shot him at point-blank range, murdering him in an Islamic terrorist attack. That terrorist then stormed into Parliament in a hail of bullets, miraculously not killing more people. As you may know, back at the Sun News Network, where I was at the time, we crowdfunded $100,000 for Corporal Cirillo's son. It was a very emotional time, and it was especially emotional for Ottawa, a city that had been immune to terrorism until then, October 28, 2014. And that was the exact day that the newspaper of record in Ottawa, called the Ottawa Citizen, decided to publish a propaganda op-ed from an al-Qaeda terrorist named Omar Khadr. I wish I were kidding. The very day that Nathan Cirillo was being buried was the very day the editors of the Ottawa Citizen chose to publish this propaganda piece. Khadr, misguided security laws take a human toll. Seriously, a convicted war criminal, a confessed murderer, an, al an unrepentant al-Qaeda terrorist, is publishing an op-ed in the leading political newspaper in Canada on the day a hero is buried after being murdered by another Muslim terrorist. Let me read one detestable sentence of it to you. As Canada once again grapples with concerns about terrorism, my experience stands as a cautionary reminder. Security laws and practices that are excessive, misguided, or tainted by prejudice can have a devastating human toll. Omar Khadr murdered this man, Christopher Spear, a U.S. Army medic, and the Citizen publishes an op-ed by his murderer, painting Khadr as the victim. Security laws are excessive and prejudiced. Watch out for the human toll, says the murderer. Nowhere in that Citizen article was there a disclaimer disclosing that Khadr was a convicted murderer and war criminal. Now, that was shocking back then in 2014. Khadr was actually publishing this from his prison cell, although it was obviously written by one of his anti-Canadian lawyers and just signed by him. The vocabulary and the grammar of the op-ed was obviously not written by Cotter, who's a thug. Well, it's 2019 now, and Cotter is out of prison now, 
And he's on TV now as a hero now, a star, a celebrity. Take a look at this. Omar Khadr. He was applauded. They were cheering for a murderer, a terrorist. What, what were they applauding exactly? I saw that one fellow didn't clap. Everyone else did. Uh, he had a hero's welcome. They had music accompany his walk-on entrance like a star. That's how you treat a celebrity actor or singer. They were treating a murderer like that. Oh, and to be clear, that was the CBC. That's Trudeau's state broadcaster in Quebec. Of course, I mean, Trudeau himself gave Omar Khadr $10.5 million as a gift, as a public apology attached to it. Why wouldn't Trudeau's state broadcaster do the same? And the timing, Easter Sunday. You thought the Ottawa citizen was gross, giving Khadr a platform on the day of Nathan Cirillo's funeral? Imagine putting Khadr on TV as a hero on Easter Sunday. That's your Christian broadcasting. Oh, and then the Sri Lankan terrorist attack happened. A Muslim terrorist, dozens of them, in a massive operation targeting multiple targets, churches mainly, targeting the Christian minority in that war-torn country of Sri Lanka. Last I saw, 290 people were confirmed murdered. It's really Sri Lanka's 9-11, but it's anti-Christian on Easter Sunday. That's huge news around the world, of course. So you have Easter Sunday, and then you have an Islamic terrorist attack, a massacre of Christians at prayer on Easter Sunday, and Trudeau's CBC decided that it was wise to continue to proceed with their pre-recorded interview. I mean, they could have delayed it at least, but once you're that depraved, once you're putting a terrorist on TV as a hero, really, what's a few further degrees closer to hell? Imagine doing that, and you paid for that. Now, I'm not going to dignify that grotesquery by playing you much of the interview. I, I don't use the word satanic a lot. I, I don't. I'm not particularly religious. But there is something satanic about worshiping a murderer. There's something diabolical about it, about treating a murderer as a victim, about treating a murderer as a hero, about venerating pure evil like that. I don't mean satanic as in a mystical evil demon or a supernatural force, like an evil angel with the, you know, hoofs and a tail or something. I don't mean anything supernatural. I mean inverted morality. I mean loving hate and hating love, loving a murderer, ignoring his victims. That's what I mean by satanic. That is satanic in the plain meaning of the word, what they did at the CBC. I'm not being religious. I'm trying to describe the cult-like worship of this war criminal. And on Easter Sunday... Would the CBC run a loving interview of Paul Bernardo on International Women's Day? What's the difference? You know, when he was in Guantanamo Bay, Gilbert Carter told guards that murdering Christopher Spear was the best day of his life, the happiest day of his life, the best thing he ever did. In fact, when he was captured in Afghanistan, he actually looked up at the U.S. soldiers, swore at them, and told them to shoot him right then and there so he could get to heaven as a martyr because he finally killed an American, which was his lifelong dream, kill an infidel. That's who the CBC was celebrating. And he was loving it. He was rubbing it in. I think this settlement is not only for me, 
It's for every Canadian to a degree to ensure that our government does not participate in torturing its citizens. So I know some people might be offended by it, uh, but I think it's, it's for all of us. Yeah, you sicko, you sick, sick Satan. But we know he's a sicko, he's a murderer, he's an Al-Qaeda war criminal, we, we know that. What's the CBC's excuse? What's the excuse of everyone in there who were clapping for that? What's the excuse for them? I tweeted about this, I said, Imagine clapping for a murderer, they clapped for him, they played music for his entry, for a murderer, a convicted Al-Qaeda war criminal, that's Trudeau's CBC, they hate you, never forget that, I wrote. And to my surprise, the producer of that show called Tout Le Monde en Parle replied to me. He said, in fact, Trudeau has nothing to do with our show, neither Harper before him. You can agree or not with the people we invite, but stop your shitty propaganda. Nobody but my team decide who will be the guest since 15 years until the end. Questions? All right, I wrote back. I said, you're a government journalist who works for the state broadcaster. I know that's embarrassing, but don't lie about it. Your boss, Trudeau, gave Cotter $10.5 million cash and a public apology. You gave him $10.5 million in publicity and a public platform. You're an international disgrace. And then he blocked me on Twitter and continued to rant about me. Uh, well, I couldn't see it anymore. I had to log in another way. But of course Trudeau is involved. He is the boss of the CBC. He funds it. He sets its strategic direction uh, and through his spin doctors and um, constantly shaping it through his appointments to their board. And do you doubt his office medals in their politics? We know that they do. But I'm glad I gave that producer a shot of reality from outside the CBC liberal bubble. Here are the Twitter analytics for that first one little tweet by me, only the first one. In just a few hours, it had been seen a third of a million times, my reply. I, I think within a few more hours, my criticism will have been seen more than the original broadcast on the CBC. So they're mad about that. No wonder their producer blocked me. He's used to controlling the entire narrative. He hates critics. He only likes people who clap for murderers. And the irony, uh, the irony of him calling me a propagandist, uh, let me know when I put a convicted, confessed Al-Qaeda terrorist on TV without saying he's a convicted, confessed Al-Qaeda terrorist. That's your propagandist. But it's the new way. I mean, look at this guy. This is a pro-Trudeau terrorism expert, expert, that's what he calls himself, named Amarnath Amarasingham. He's ubiquitous in Canadian media because he's such an apologist for radical Islam. Get a load of this. Is it unusual, given nearly 24 hours after the attack, we just still don't know who's behind it? Um, it, 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 it's, um, I guess, a symptom of the complexity of the country itself because you have kind of multiple uh, ethnic and religious identities competing for power and at the same time um, conflicts that have affected each community uh, in different ways. And uh, this, so, so I guess the assumption often is when we see these kinds of attacks in, in Europe or other places, it's often, you know, Al-Qaeda-inspired or ISIS-inspired. But in, in this case, we kind of assume that it's a similar situation. But of course... Um, I've been watching ISIS channels all day long and they haven't uh, said anything about Sri Lanka. So it, I think it, it is a bit confusing to see, uh, particularly with the targeting of Christian populations, which, hasn't, uh, which also hasn't happened um, as often before. Um, yeah, no, 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 no. Um, in fact, it was a Muslim terrorist attack on Christians 
and Christians are attacked all the time by Islamic terrorists. Christians are ethnically cleansed from Muslim lands, uh, from Turkey, from Egypt. Both used to be Christian-majority countries. I've seen with my own eyes, when I visited Iraq a couple of years ago, the ethnic cleansing of Christians from that ancient land by ISIS. Imagine that guy calling himself an expert saying, yeah, Muslims don't really attack Christians. I, this doesn't sound like a Muslim terrorist attack. Can you believe it? But imagine the CBC calling themselves news and entertainment. And imagine Trudeau giving $10.5 million to Omar Khadr and an apology. We are in clown world, people. But that's too gentle a term. That's clown world. It implies that it's funny. It's not funny. It's evil. If we lack the ability to call evil by its proper name, don't be surprised if evil thrives, including here in Canada. Stay with us for more on the subject with Pamela Giller. Well, it wasn't long ago that there was a horrific massacre at two mosques in New Zealand. Approximately 50 people murdered by someone who had a political agenda, I believe, that meets the definition of the word terrorism. And the response was massive, not only in New Zealand, but around the world. People around the world, uh, newspapers put this on the front page, huge coverage on television. There were calls to ban guns, not only in New Zealand, but around the world. And it was used as a political weapon by the left to denounce anyone who had criticized Islam as a religion or mass immigration of Muslims. That was just weeks ago, 50 people murdered. But here now we have 290 Christians murdered in Sri Lanka by a team of terrorists. In fact, police have found 57, sorry, excuse me, 87 abandoned detonators at a bus stop. This could have been an even much larger attack, obviously, Islamic in character, targeting Christians on the Holy Christian Day of Easter Sunday. And the response to something so much larger and more horrific and more planned than New Zealand, well, it was mute. Muted, at least. Here, look at these strange tweets by Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, neither of which can muster themselves to even say the word Christian. They use the, the strange phrase, Easter worshippers. Is that who they are? Easter worshippers. Now, perhaps New Zealand is more like Canada and the United States, so we're more interested in a horrific crime in a country like our own. But I don't think that's what's at play here. I think generally the media loves the narrative of Christian whites attacking Muslims, but likes to bury the narrative of Muslim terrorism, especially when Christians are the victim. Joining us now to talk about this is our friend Pamela Geller. She's the publisher of the Geller Report and the founder of American Freedom Defense Initiative. She joins us from New York. Great to see you again, Pamela. Thank you for having me, Ezra. You know what I think of um, the murder of 50 people in New Zealand, which was horrific. And I think of the murder of 50 people at a gay nightclub in Florida a few years back, committed by a Muslim terrorist. And look at the difference in coverage. Um, I think the media hates to cover Muslim terrorism and goes out of their way not to do so. Uh, what do you think? I think they should have said chocolate bunny eaters as mm. opposed to Eastern worshipers. I mean, that was deeply disturbing. The more the jihad advances 
so also is the stigma of talking about it. That is the very definition of Sharia compliance. You cannot criticize Islam. Uh, you saw yesterday, I know I announced it yesterday when the Indian press, and by the way, uh, there are a few nations that have suffered under the boot of jihad oppression as India has, and their intel is very good. And they announced the names of three of the jihadis right away. And I, had, uh, using them as a source, had, um, had published it as well. And I was on the receiving end of enormous scorn and derision on Twitter for even implying that this was jihad. And even now, we know that it was. We know this is a group that was promoting jihad previously, whose sole agenda is to impose Islam and to impose uh, Islamic law, Sharia law, which is the same agenda as the Islamic State, as Hamas, as al-Shabaab, as Boko Haram. It's all, of the, it's all of a piece. It's all the same playbook. And the Western media and the elites in, the, in academia, in, in, in uh, mainstream media outlets, go to extraordinary lengths to protect the ideology. Yes, Christchurch mosque shooting was horrific. This was a, a deeply disturbed man, but there is no ideology. He created his own. He was an eco-fascist. He was an eco-terrorist. He had this, this sort of this mumbo-jumbo of philosophical positions, political positions that made no sense except to him. I have no issue with Muslims. Uh, my problem is with the ideology that incites that calls for this holy war against the non-Muslim, and the fact that we're not even allowed to talk about it. Where are the calls today? I mean, almost 300 slaughtered, 500 injured. Where are the calls across the world to expunge the Islamic teachings that incite to this genocide? Yeah. You know, um, I see that uh there were at least 24 suspects in custody showing the large scale of the operation. It doesn't surprise me. I'm, of course, 9-11 had almost as many co-conspirators in America, let alone those overseas. When I first heard about the New Zealand terrorist attacks, it was reported that there were multiple people doing it. And that shocked me because I had never heard of a Western-based indigenous Westerner like New Zealand or, or, or American or Canadian because it's such an extreme thing to be a terrorist. It's just not part of the American, Canadian, New Zealand, Australian, or indigenous British tradition. So I, I was shocked when I heard it was multiple terrorists, but it turned out to be one guy. But the fact that 24 suspects are in custody in Sri Lanka, I think that goes to your point. It's a large ideology that calls on millions or billions of people to act on it, as opposed to a crank or a lone wolf nut who committed the crimes in New Zealand. I, but what gets me, and I, and I saw you had a Twitter spat with a Canadian uh, terrorism expert, Amarnath Amarasingham. I don't understand why he was trying to argue that this was not conducted by Muslims. I, it was a bizarre thing for him to say when they had them in custody and the Indian government, for example, said, yeah, we know who they are. Well, what was amusing about it is he was pointing to, in one of the tweets, Buddhist extremists. And we do know that this is hardly a tenant of, of Buddhism. And, uh, you know, his, his tweet warning people not to listen to me, okay, again, was uh, absurd because I was right. 
Uh, he dug in his heels. Now, mind you, this is th these Western um, purveyors of tequila advancing these lies. They are um, owned. They own the West. I mean, this was this was the New Yorker expert. This the, the man that you cite here is a leading expert on what was, if you read his tweets yesterday, dissembling, obfuscating, and making sure that nobody pointed to jihad terrorism. I mean, the fact that one of the jihadis was a was a prominent Muslim preacher on YouTube. I mean, why was he allowed to keep his channel on YouTube? Why, you know, I know I have been demonetized and many of my my uh, my videos have been taken down. I'm sure that you have suffered at the hand of the censors at YouTube. And yet this man was allowed to incite and preach uh, with absolutely no restriction. There's something very wrong in the West. Uh, people ask me, you know, what's it going to take? You know, what's it going to take? And I'll tell you, I, I nothing. Because we have seen the worst. We have seen absolute uh, monstrosities that are shrugged at. I mean, what happened yesterday was just breathtaking. And Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton calling them Easter worshipers. That's a, that's a front page news story in, in and of itself. And yet, again, just not even a shrug. It's so weird. You know, uh Less than 10% of Sri Lankans are Christian. It's a very small minority. It's about the same as the Coptic Christian percentage in Egypt. Um, there are trace vestiges of Christianity left in Iraq. I think it's down about 2% now. ISIS drove them out. We, we forget that these places, not Sri Lanka, but Iraq, Turkey, Egypt, they used to be Christian countries. And I don't mean a little bit Christian. They were completely Christian. Constantinople, which is now called Istanbul, was the seat of a pope. So um, I, I think that the uh, it's just incredible to me that this perpetual, you know, centuries-old ethnic cleansing of Christianity happens even in 2019, and our politicians can't even say the word. And, and by the way, has the Pope said anything? I haven't heard a word from the Pope yet. Why isn't he all over this? I find this very frustrating, Pamela. I think that he was busy kissing the feet of some uh, militia leaders in Sudan. I kid you not. Uh, look, they targeted Christians on their holiest day. Why does no one in the media ask, why, why did they do that? Because the Quran says to strike in the enemies of Allah, that's Quran 860. Uh, this is never questioned. Uh, and this is what is disturbing. And I will tell you that those of us that do, we are smeared, defamed, marginalized. Look, I've been doing this work since 9-11. And it, is, it strikes me as most debilitating that this is where we are, that my colleagues and I, in large part, are banned from speaking, uh, get very little, if any, and, and what we get in, in the press uh, is, again, an attempt to smear and to defame and to marginalize our work. Uh, because if you kill the messenger, uh, no one will listen to the message, and that's what we've seen. And of course, in the sec we're now going to be in the throes of the second wave of the jihad attack. In, the, in every single, in the wake of every single jihad attack comes the quote-unquote fear of reprisals and bemoaning of the attendant Islamophobia and backlashophobia and the Muslims are truly the victims 
and blah, blah, blah. And so we're admonished once again. First, we're physically bloodied, and then we're mentally uh, sort of tortured with this non-existent um, idea of Islamophobia. Now, look, I don't believe that any group should be targeted for anything at any time. And what happened in Christchurch was an atrocity and horrible. And that man should, look, if it was up to me, a man like that gets a death penalty, but the West doesn't believe in that anymore. The West doesn't believe in much anymore. Yeah. And I really think that's the problem. The West certainly doesn't believe in its own civilization and its own values. Uh, we see this time and time again. And I don't worry so much about the fanaticism of the, the jihadists. I worry about the confusion on our side. And, you know, if you don't think we're confused, then how does someone like Ilhan Omar get elected? Someone who, who is slamming, for example, the U.S. troops that died in a jihad attack in Somalia, who's a virulent anti-Israel, anti-Semitic a sort of jihad supporter. How does she get elected? And then after these egregious, disgusting, vile comments of hers, she out funds, she out fundraises her peers and her hard left peers like AOC mm -hmm. and Tlaib, Rashida Tlaib, another, you know, um, jihad, part of the jihad caucus. How is that happening? It's happening because in academia and in media, I mean, look, NYU just this week, New York University, the presidents gave the, the president's award to a terrified group that uh, harasses and, and, and really uh, tortures Jewish students on college campuses. Uh, very physically intimidating, shuts down events. And here you have NYU, a, a school that's largely funded by Jewish dollars, whether it's, it's Stern School of Business uh, or Tisch or Kimmel Center, I'm, it's just incredible uh, that they would be honoring with the presidential award the Students for Justice in, in Palestine. Well, we um, can outdo you. Uh, I mean, you're talking about donors to political extremists. Here in Canada, just last night, a convicted Al-Qaeda murderer, war criminal, terrorist named Omar Khadr, was put on our state broadcaster as a celebrity guest on a talk show, musical entry, lavish praise and applause as he walked in. So yeah, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib are obscene Muslim Brotherhood supporters, but they haven't actually murdered anyone that we know of. Uh, Omar Khadr is a murderer and he was celebrated on our state broadcaster last night, Pamela, that's a fact. That's evil. That's evil. And, you know, it's interesting, but the Bible says it's Easter and we're in this moment, uh, you know, woe to those that call evil good and good evil. And honestly, this is the era that we are living in. It is, this is the war in the information battle space. This is where it happens. Everything, all the bullets and the bombs and the bloodshed, bloodshed comes as a, as a result of what happens in this war. And these, I mean, look what was targeted. Christians and hotels. Yeah. Why? Because they wanted, they were targeting uh, Americans and Brits and Dutch, two big enemies of those who want to establish a closed Sharia state. And, and we see that with, with jihadis targeting tourist spots in Egypt and North Africa. And, and, and that's what we're seeing. And again, the rollout of this war, it, you know, it's sort of, it conflicts with the Western mind. The Western mind likes it nice and short and sweet. Boom, boom, boom. 
this is like slow motion. You know, we've been doing this work how long, Ezra? How long are we doing this work? Is it getting better? It is certainly not. Yeah. I mean, we have been temporarily saved by the greatest president of my lifetime, uh, Donald Trump. There's no question about it. I mean, he's just the gift that keeps on giving, and he has far ex exceeded uh, my expectations, and we have been granted a reprieve. You, on the other hand, with, with Justin Trudeau, not so much. Well, it's great to talk to you, Pamela, and it's good to see you fighting as always. We're so glad you are. Good to be back. Thank you for having me, Ezra. All right, it's our pleasure. That's our friend Pamela Geller, who is the publisher of The Geller Report and the founder of the American Freedom Defense Initiative. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Welcome back on my monologue Friday about the Alberta election and Jason Kenney fighting back against anti-oil lobbyist Paul writes, I predict Kenney will do as he says. He was given a huge mandate to do so. I hope you're right. I mean, really, what's the point if he doesn't? Um, all of Alberta wants jobs, and this is the key issue of the campaign. Uh, he's in the legal right, the moral right, the economic right, the nationalist right, whatever. Um, I don't know why he wouldn't do it. Bruce writes, we must all be on the alert for any leftward drift by Jason Kenney and Andrew Scheer. Even Doug Ford and Scott Moe should be watched like a hawk. I agree completely, which is, I think, the role for the rebel going forward. Uh, I recall when the Sun News Network was formed, um, Stephen Harper was the prime minister. They didn't give us a lack of things to do. Number one, we had to keep Stephen Harper and the conservatives honest. We had to keep them conservative as every voice tried to pull them to the left. Number two, we had to talk about things that they were scared of talking about that was too right wing for them. And number three, we had to call out the unfair attacks on the conservatives by the media party or activists in, on the left. And all three of those things apply to Jason Kenney, Scott Moe and Doug Ford also. Number one, keep them honest, keep them conservative. Number two, report about the things they hate to talk about. And number three, we have to rebut the lies that will be thrown at them. Shannon writes, it's obvious that the left is abhorred by the UCP dominating the election and are looking for any scapegoat to spread the malaise. You are outwardly gleeful, read the UCP victory, and more so of the beating that the NDP took. Of course, you are going to be attacked, but if you strive for nonpartisan representation of the facts, it remains very easy to defend your position against the unhinged left. Yes, we had some glee, and Sheila and Kean certainly had a lot of fun out there. But I think uh, we were happy warriors, and we made the point, and I think we, in our own way, helped liberate Alberta from the NDP, certainly in that one riding of Calgary Varsity, don't you think? Dave writes, you frequently refer to Trudeau as handsome. I think you need to qualify that description, perhaps including the adjective moderately or arguably. I'm afraid his looks do not impress me in the least, but maybe that my politics, that's my politics talking. Um, look, you're right. They say that politics is show business for ugly people. And I really like that phrase because I really think it's true. Only in politics would Justin Trudeau be called handsome. Only in politics would Justin Trudeau, who's 47, be called young. Um, that's how low the bar is in politics when you're competing against other politicians. They are an ugly group of people. The only people uglier than politicians, I think, are journalists. 
Um, yeah, so he's handsome by comparison. It's like saying the tallest short guy. Ladies and gentlemen, amazing. In comes the tallest short guy, Justin Trudeau. The one thing he's not, though, he's not the smartest dumb guy. I'll tell you that. Todd writes, rest up for October, guys. I enjoyed your work in Alberta. Bring that magic to Ottawa. Well, Todd, I appreciate your thinking. I share it. We made a difference in Alberta. We shone a light of scrutiny on stories the mainstream media wasn't covering, and we got inside the heads of some NDP candidates. I mentioned Calgary Varsity and that communist Anne McGrath. I would like to replicate that federally, and let's see if we can. All right, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.